Welcome to another Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth, Jason Bristol, Jeremy Booth. What's going on, man? Nothing, nothing. We're here in the off season. There's a lot going on outside of Houston, Texas, and uh, it's a great day to be alive, Jay. It is, it is. Let me ask you this. We're going to come out swinging as we always do. Love it. From a scouting perspective... What kind of role would you be? What, what would you be doing at this point of the season or off season on November 29th, November 30th, December 1st? What would a, posi- play, a person in your position be doing at this time of year? Which position? Pro scout, amateur scout, player okay, development. Okay, pick them apart. Which All one right. you want to start with? If you're an amateur scout, you're, you're finishing your follow reports. You are. Um, Doing home visits, depending on your role, getting to know players for next year. You are putting together schedules for the calendar for what's happening with your scouting director and where people are going to spend their time. Um, you are setting your personal calendar of priorities and where you want to be. And, and you're kind of knocking up, you know, knocking out the first couple of months and, and writing down really on paper to visualize and formalize what you've just spent the last year, 18 months putting together. So when you say schedule, okay. Um... UT is here, or the college, uh, the the classic in Houston. I know I'm going to have X teams there, Correct. and then I can where the prospects are going to play. Okay, when they're going to play, who's going to pitch when? You know, you always follow pitching. Position players you can pick up anytime because they play every day. You always follow the pitching. So if Jason Bristol's pitching on Tuesday and Edwin Diaz is pitching on Friday, I've got Wednesday and Thursday to see position players, and I pick up my other guys on Friday. I would definitely Sunday. skip Tuesday skip and go Tuesday? right to Friday. Yeah. So I'd have to <laughs> – How I mean, much say do you have in that? Is, that? is that your decision, or does the organization check your work, if you will, and say, you know what, Jeremy, we're not that interested in, in the Tuesday guy – Focus more on the Friday guy at this point in your in your planning. The scouts have full autonomy to go where they want to go. If you're wasting your time, we'll know open. The, we'll know in the draft, right? Um, you know, the area scout. The old adage is you're the GM of your area, and that may have evolved a little bit because you know now it's an information position quite a bit, and cross checkers are doing a lot more. Um, you know, cross checkers have their list, area scouts have their list, and the scouting director has his list. Um, which at the end make one organizational list, right? So as you're building to that, right now the area scout is king. And the cross-checker has priorities, and he's talking to his guys, and he's talking to his his scouts, and he's checking data from the front office, and he's taking all this information to figure out where he's going to prioritize his time for, Jan- believe it or not, January now with college baseball, some high school, um, and February, and then once we hit about February 15th, everybody's flying. Professional scout side now. So – this is the time of year that all the fans really get really excited because it's the hot stove hot season, stove. right? So the pro scouting work up to this point has been done with understanding who you can acquire in free agency, building out projections and giving the front office information to go with their you know tangible um, objective data, um, and working on traits, working on things that you can acquire because you have to acquire players, and it's a whole, totally different way of doing it than the draft where it's kind of a free-for-all, right? Whatever falls to you is kind of what, what gets there. Um in 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 the uh, professional world, the work you've done all year and and so in previous years have to forecast the next three, five, two, whatever the player is going to be, and what your needs are. And we're seeing an an increased difference every off season and what it, from today than what it used to be ten years ago, twelve years ago, fifteen years ago, five years ago. There's so many play any many organizations that are making a decision to go all the way in or all the way out now to rebuild through the draft. Um, similar to Bobby Heck and the Houston Astros, how they really did that here and how Elias and, and Luno um, augmented that when they got here. Um, Cubs, right? There's some teams that have done this now pretty well. 
you know, versus a team like, um, you know, the Mets, who have to are trying to win mm-hmm. still, and so they're going to try to bring on other players to help that core of Syndergaard and Degrom and 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 a rising star in Alonso who's cost effective and and how they're going to do things there. So. You know, right now, depending where your organizational vision is, all that work you've done factors in heavily or not as much. How far back from your reports will you go to look or evaluate a player who you may be interested in acquiring in a trade? Man, they'll look all the way back at your amateur scout. Like, sometimes that makes a difference. There's a a pro scouting director who's going to remain nameless just because that's the appropriate thing to do. Mm -hmm. With his organization, he gets excited when the pro work – matches up with the what the what the subjective matches up with the objective information and then he goes to the area guy and he talks to the cross checker and if they're going to acquire a guy that history goes back to the first time they started seeing a kid right and you do that because you want to have a complete profile of a player you're about to really pay building through the draft is always more effective yes it's always more effective from a from a development standpoint from a loyalty standpoint and certainly from a cost standpoint but if you have to acquire in free agency and trades and everybody does you want to have a complete picture of what you saw when a kid was 16 sometimes 15 sometimes 17 sometimes 21 depending when you when you pick this guy up you want to know what you're buying into because that stuff gets expensive either in commodities by sending players back to pick up this player the the one guy you're trying to really get to in dollars out the door, out of your pocket, free agency. And and there's a lot of homework and information, and a lot of it's going to culminate the winter meetings like it does every year. It seems like we spend a lot of time talking about the Seattle Mariners on this podcast. Right, it's an interesting <laughs> Good, bad, group. or indifferent. Yeah. The latest is this. Robinson Cano, the rumors. Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz going from the Mariners to the Mets, according to Yahoo Sports, and I believe some others have had sure. that. Certainly, we don't know the names that would be going back to Seattle. Do you like it? Not like it? Or it's just hard to say at this point because we don't know what, what the, uh, the Mariners would be getting back in, in return. So there's, there's two sides of this. And I like it because it means the Wilpont for the Mets and, and for the Mariners, and, and depending who the Mariners are going to get, right? I, I like it for the Mets and the Mariners because the Mariners are, are not going to win with the core they have. And last year we talked about them overachieving mm-hmm. with where they were. They're, they're just not they're not going to push over the hump with where they are payroll-wise. There's nothing else to spend. They're not going to push over the hump where they are personnel-wise. There's nothing in the system, right? They have to, they're kind of in no man's land a little bit. So they need to kind of tear that down and build it back. Jerry Depoto is a, doing a great job. He always has of making trades. And Robinson Cano, you have a player, and I was in Seattle when we signed him, um, where the prime, prime, prime years, he's still a very productive player, were kind of wasted. All right? They were just kind of wasted there. And, and, and in New York, he had a great run and came to Seattle and got a contract he was deserving of at the time. And you knew that for the first five years, he was going to get what you were going to get out of him. And if you won a couple of titles or competed every year and it got one out of it, it was worth the investment, right? It didn't work. For whatever reason – more than one, it, it didn't work, and it's time for him, in fairness to the player, to also have a change of scenery, in fairness to the organization he's with, to find a way to move that player. However, he's still got quite a bit of money left on that contract, and the Mets are have not spent a ton in recent years. So to get anybody to take him, when everybody knows Seattle's in a position where they have to move him, there's going to have to be some sweeteners. Some of that's going to be money. Some of that might be one of the best closers in baseball or best relievers in baseball in Edwin Diaz, um, who could be part of that deal. And 
that's good for Seattle as long as they, by giving up that money they can, and, and Diaz to go with it, they get a ton back when it comes to prospects. Um, you would think. You would think. Now, for the Mets, capitalizes in their window that Wilpon said they were going to do when they brought Brody Van Wagenen in, which is try to win right now. So that's a win-now player, right? So he fits what they're trying to do. Um, it strengthens the ability to keep maybe a DeGrom on the roster, especially with play, payroll flexibility coming with Cano um, and a Syndergaard and other pieces that they're going to have to keep there. And if they get Diaz, that means all the guys they have they really like are staying. Nobody's moving anywhere. So now it's about adding to that. Is it possible that Diaz is is more valuable in that deal than Cano is? He is more valuable than than, than Cano because he's an all star. He's one of the best in the game. He's controllable, right? He's 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 going to be there for a couple of years, and he's in that youth movement where Degrom's not old, and neither mm-hmm. is Syndergaard, and all these guys. You know, they've, they've grown up, and we forget sometimes where these where they really are in their career age wise. But they're not old at all. They're hit, entering their prime, and Diaz fits that. Um, but this is where Mark Tremuda and the Mets scouting staff last couple of years really get a pat on the back. Because to go back and be part, even have a deal this this far along with the Mariners having to get prospects, you now have Jared Kelenic, and you've got Justin Dunn, and you've got Dominic Smith, and you who was drafted by Tommy Tannis when, when uh, Mark was the uh, national cross checker. But you've got some guys there who can now go back to Seattle and, and, and fill some needs and build with, and that's what you're supposed to do. You maximize your draft picks because even if they don't get to the big leagues with you, they become. Um, a collateral, chip. A chip. A chip. yeah, they become they become trade value to go get something else to win at the big league level. If the Mets are going to try to win at the big league level by adding these pieces, they need to strengthen their scouting department, which they're doing, really strengthen their player development, which I understand they're taking steps to do. Okay, and to maximize what they get in the system, thinking they're going to pick in the back of the draft. And thank you, Mark, and thank you, Tommy, and on the rest of the scouts of the New York Mets that allowed this deal to happen. What's your perception of Cano? Is he can he still be productive? I must say, I'm looking at his stats right now. And September, late August, October, I'm not really paying attention to the Mariners because sure. of the way they, they played towards yeah. the end of the season. I'm actually a bit surprised about how productive he was. Robbie can hit. How far, <laughs> how much does he have left in the tank? That's you, the million dollar well, or Rob, Robbie, multi-million dollar question. Robbie can hit. It was a 10-year deal, and I want to say that was in 14. Is that right? So it was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Right, I think that was right. Fourteen through twenty-three. Right, so he so so he's fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. So he's completed five of that. Mm-hmm. So he's got five left. Um, he may play some first base. He may he may play some second. I think he's fine. I think he takes care of his body. Um, he's a he's a hitter, and hitters hit, and he's always been a hitter. And if you if you buy Robinson Cano. You know, it's funny because he makes second base look so easy. Sometimes people think he's dogging it. He's just he's just that good. one of those guys. You know, if you just let him play and let him hit, and he's going to thrive in New York. It's not like he can't handle that market, right? Did that for a long time with the Yankees. Uh, I think that's a great pickup. I think he's going to be productive for at least three more years. Now, the last two years of that deal, I don't know what you get, but I think he kind of knew that, and I think he's been. You know, we thought we thought that years five and six of the ten. We're going to be the last two productive years that he was going to have, and seven, eight, and nine, you know, eight, nine, and ten. We're going to be, eh, eh, you know, we'll see what we get. See a decline um, with Alonzo being a rising star in 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 New York. I don't know that he moves to first base there and blocks him, but it'd be interesting to see what they do there. He's going to give him some options because he's going to play left hand hitter is what he's going to play in New York. And he's going to hit Cano OPS of eight forty five, batted over three hundred ten homers, fifty RBI. That's that's the last couple of months of the year or total for the year. That's eighty that's eighty games. Eighty games because he missed the he missed the eighty with the PED suspension. So um 
I think, look, I think for where they are right now, it's a really good move for both clubs. But all sides that contribute to this, you know, before Brody Van Wagen and Jerry DePoto can do their jobs, um, you know, make, it makes sense. Were you struck at the reaction from Astros players with the news that Brian McCann was returning to the Braves? Were you, were you at all surprised by the tweets and the messages about how valuable he was? No, I wasn't. What I did take from it was Lance McCullers' tweet. I saw this, and this one stuck with me. I saw Colin McHugh's tweet, which was great. You know, the countdown of teammates, 10 to 1. Hold on one second. Yeah. Here's Ken Rosenthal. Hold on. Those are the, those are the guys. In oh, dis- uh, my bad. Did I just – yeah, I just, that's what those I Those are the guys. Did I literally just say those Kalenic. names? Yeah, Justin right? Dunn. Kalenic? Kalenic? Kalenic, rather, yeah. I'm sorry. And Dunn. And Justin Dunn. I, I that's a pretty that? good haul. I just said that. That's, that's, you know, anyways, that's, back to McCann, but that's, I'm but sorry. that's Tram. Yeah. That's those guys and what they've done. So, um, anyway, McCann, what I took from Lance McCullers' tweet, and, and I hope it was him because it really stuck with me, the words, more than the person, was crediting Brian McCann for how much he learned and how much he improved working with him. We do a lot of crediting, we as an industry, with the Houston Astros and the advanced analytics for why these guys are getting better. Do you ever think maybe it might be the players taking care of players? There's a player that I know that's going to remain nameless mm-hmm. um, who literally said that a pitcher no longer with the club taught him his slider. And he had a bunch of success with it. Just taught him his slider in spring training. How to use it, when to use it. Now, I'm not taking away from the analytical advancements. I'm saying there's a lot more to it in that one bubble. And Brian McCann the way he contributes to this clubhouse, it, those, you can't measure those things. People aren't interchangeable. And, and great for him. He's going back to Atlanta and a place mm-hmm. they're going to yeah. have a chance to win. And they had a need for him. And, you know, Josh Donaldson on the same day and strengthening that club, and great. Um, but I, I think that the, what the Astros are going to miss there is, is more than just a leadership. I think they're going to miss how he helped these guys grow up because he's a veteran. He's been there. I don't care. People can talk about the numbers – and the analytics, it's still a people. It's still a people business. It is 100% a people business. It will always be a people business, yes. The analytics is more about the people playing to their strengths. Therefore, it is still a people business. And just because we hear or see certain numbers about guys, we don't know how they're going to perform it different stages of the season or when the stakes are at its at their highest. So to me, it will always be a people business. And people like you who stress relationships and building those and building trust, that's why people like you are always going to have a place in this game. And, and you've always embraced numbers as well. But to me, that again is what is so important. It's the relationships and that's how the game grows, and that's how the game and the players get better. It's based on those relationships. We're not ro- people aren't. Ro- Thank you for that, by the way. But we're not. We're not robots. I mean, I got called for, in a loving way an acquired taste today. And <laughs> you got called an acquired taste. Acquired taste. taste. And, and, really? And, and I, I, I like that because I'm not afraid, I guess, to be myself, but I also respect what other people have brought to this game. Mm-hmm. I believe in keeping the record straight. I don't believe in, in, in stepping on people to get where I'm going. And if I, did, if I can learn something from somebody, man, my ears are open always. And um, I believe in the power of connecting 
with human beings. And when it comes to this game, which is so individual and team-oriented all at the same time, to get 25 guys to work towards one goal together while still handling their box of what they got to handle is a monumental achievement. You don't do that unless you connect to people. And it goes way beyond those 25 guys. It's the pro scouting staff. It's the amateur scouting staff, first and foremost. It's what player development does with what it, the balls of clay, that, if you will, that are handed to them, how they mold that to have value at the big league level. And it's what the GM and his, and his level of decision-making does with the assets he's been given. With all that said, they're human beings. And you got to remember they have lives and they have families. And this is a job. And while it's still a business, you can't lose sight of the human component of it. If you lose sight of the human component of it, you're doomed to fail. Everywhere we've gone that it's turned into a, a robot-type organization, what happens? It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And um, I think some of the tendency with numbers is to, is to video game this thing a little bit sometimes. We, we tend to look at it. Hey, it's a video game. Everybody's replaceable. Bill James' comment, to go back to that, is one of the worst comments I've ever heard at any level. You, you cannot take away. Nobody goes to the ballpark to watch Jeremy Booth, Jason Bristol, and – and, and, and that camera stand there mm-hmm. yeah. and watch the game. Nobody does it. What, what they go to the ballpark to do is watch Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz and, and Alex Fragman. and you name them, right? That's what they go see. To lose sight of who those players are as human beings, to lose sight of, of, of the people that are so involved in creating that as one unit, I think is remiss, and I think you're doomed to fail. So while I watch this game evolve, you're 100% right. You can't get away from... You can't get away from people. You can't get away from understanding. You can't get away from, from, from having some humility because if you don't have any, you're going to find some in a hurry. John Heyman now reporting that Cincinnati is all over Dallas Keuchel. That's interesting. I still think he ends up on the West Coast. Cincinnati has trouble attracting free agent pitchers to that park, but they are aiming high for Dallas Keuchel. But they're in a rebuild. That, it doesn't make a lot of doesn't, sense doesn't to me, fit for me. Unless they feel that they're closer than a lot of a lot of the experts feel, and they feel that one guy adding a guy like that is going to raise everybody else's game. So if you're Dallas Keuchel, the only reason you end up in Cincinnati is, is dollars, right? I mean, it's, you know, Anaheim, for me, makes a bunch of sense. They're going to pay him anyway. You know, you can end up on the East Coast and in the New York market, you know, if they wanted to pay him, um, only because of what they're, they're doing now, right, which give you indication they're really going to go harder at that. Um, we don't know where Bryce Harper's going to land. We don't know where Corbin's going to land yet. Philadelphia is a possibility for mm-hmm. sure. I think you see him on the West Coast. Or if I'm Dallas Keuchel, why don't I come back here? To be honest with you, right? I mean, if, if it's Cincinnati or Houston, I'm picking Houston. For a little less dollars? Hometown I would. discount, 0% state tax. I right? would, yeah. Ballpark I'm comfortable in, place I know how to play, fans I love. Yeah. Why would I not be here? That's true. So, I, I mean, if, if, it's, if that's the option, then that's what I do. If I have a chance to, to blow all that out of the water and go to Philadelphia or Anaheim, I'm going, that's where I'm going. Quickly, you join me on a, uh, a news-gathering shoot, as we call them in the business. Right. We were checking out Key Brian Hayes, Tom Ball, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Pirates, prospect, elite defender. The guy has won two gold gloves, minor league gold gloves, which I went back and did the research, and since Rawlings brought back the minor league gold glove in 2011... I can find only one other player who has won in back-to-back years. Your thoughts on what you saw with Key Brian Hayes and talking to Dad, oh, by the way, World Series winner Charlie, Charlie Hayes. Yeah, Charlie and I got a little bit of a relationship, so that's, that was good to see him. Um, what are, what's your take on Key Brian Hayes and what kind of player he can become? 
You know, Kibrian's got a chance to do some some really good things in this game as a player. You know, it's hard to say that you think he's going to be, um, you know, one of a top five percenter in baseball at any point. Because think about Kibrian; you got to watch him play. You really got to watch him play. It's things I took away yesterday, and, and having a disadvantage. First of all, he's going to be better than his dad. He's going to be better than Charlie. Okay, and I told Charlie that yesterday. Um, but watching Kibrian play back in high school, things he did well were instinctual. He instinctively he instinctively picked the ball up well. Um, he executed his, his plays, his defensive plays. He had consistent hard contact, um, had, had strike zone controlled at bats. He did some things that gave you indicators he'd have success. Where he's at now is watching his work ethic and talking to him about what he was doing. Man, he repeats his swing really well. He has an approach to everything he does. He doesn't miss with the barrel in the strike zone. Um, he understands how to use his lower half. He's got a quick core. It's not lightning or anything like that, but it's all the things that come together to build a productive hitter. Um, he's advanced in his preparation. He eats and sleeps this game. That's all he wants to do. And then defensively, he put on his, his, his work glove. And he didn't, he didn't not only didn't, didn't he miss a ball, he didn't miss centering a ball once. Every ground ball he picked up from a short distance with his dad was, was in the right spot. His feet work. He executes. He's an 80 defender. It, it, there's an eight in minor league baseball. He's an eight. And this guy's going to play third base in his sleep. He's going to hit for a long time, probably hit six in your lineup, good at bats. And he's got more power than people think at the end of the day. I think he, he has, he's more of a hitter first. Um, he's tough to defend, and he's the type of guy that I want because he's a skills player that has tools, right? So, you know, he's, he's developing, gonna, yeah, developing and, tools. And, too. and he's 22 years old in January, and he'll be in AAA. Without being on the roster, and as a high school kid, that's hard to do. It means he's hit every step along the way, and he's on time. Like he's he's really on time for a kid that went thirty two in the draft um, to be on time at that point. He's going to pass a lot of guys one ahead of him, and that's the type of guy that continues to show up. And I think Cabrian, man, his makeup, it's eight makeup, the way he goes, it's fun to be around him and watching his. Pro- he's been a big leaguer for a long time. Anything else to add? Like a Brian Hayes or in no, general? just in general. I think the Dodgers and, and, and the Indians matching up over with Kluber or something like that. It's interesting to watch. Okay, um, you know I've, Trevor Bauer. You're seeing that out there. Yeah, I mean Trevor Bauer's also been mentioned in that deal. Re- reason why is because he's more more of a wild card of what he's going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Indians, if they're truly tearing down, moving a guy like Bauer for assets makes sense. Um, as a guy, you know, moving Kluber somewhere else for a one or two year type of return makes sense too for a gap guy. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to go to the Dodgers. You know, the Dodgers have been inter- had some interesting hires in their player development staff and their major league staff this last week. But they're obviously staying aggressive in their mission. So it'd be, be fun to see what happens there. All right. Jeremy's always on a mission. I don't know what that mission is today, yeah, but either. he's always on a mission. All right. That's it for another Extra Basis with Bristol and Booth. <laughs> Thanks for joining in. And we will check you out next time here on the podcast.